Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. I'm Danielle. And today I have a bonus episode for you. It's Adam's not in it. Uh, it was sort of a conversation that I want to have. It's really girl talk, which I love and need. Um, and one of my favorite things about podcasting is that I have an excuse to have conversations with people who I would never otherwise get to talk to or um, or like pick their brain and ask them about things. And Laura Tremaine, who's on the podcast today, she lives across the country in California. I'm in New Jersey. Um, And so the ability to talk to her, it really is like such a gift and I love it. And I urge all of you, if there's somebody on social media or something like this whole virtual thing that we've gotten into because of COVID and everything, take advantage of it um, because, I don't know, it leads to some amazing conversations. And Laura, I wanted to talk to Laura because she and I share the idea that we need to stop keeping secrets. Just stop. That we need to get everything out there. Um, and she talks very openly about the fact that when she first started her blog and started putting everything out into the open, that people in her life were, were upset or angry, um, and how she deals with that. So we all say, oh my God, I can't say that because somebody will judge me. Well, it happened to her. Um, and so she talks about that openly and what she did with it and how it affected her life. And it's an interesting thing to hear because I, you know, we're not at the place in society where we're freed from shame and we're free from judgment. Um, and we need to deal with that, but it shouldn't stop us from, from telling our truth. And Laura grew up in a small town in southern Oklahoma and moved to Los Angeles sight unseen when she was 22 years old. Years of film and television production followed, and in 2007, she married the director she met on her first movie set. For six years, Laura wrote regularly at Hollywood Housewife, a blog that opened doors of friendship and opportunity all over the world. Through blogging, Laura Laura traveled to Sri Lanka, Haiti, Israel, and all over the United States writing and speaking. You can find her every week on her podcast, 10 Things to Tell You. And if you go over there this week, I'm actually a guest on hers. And it was a great conversation. I loved it. Every episode provides a prompt for you to take to your journal or text a best friend or use to start a deeper, more meaningful conversation. And this episode is truly like like one of those nights where you sit down with a bottle of wine with a friend and you just get into stuff that you just never would otherwise think about. Like you just get into this place, into this, um, you know, like realm of uh, between like life and history and and the universe and I don't know we were kind of all over the place but I really loved it she has a new book out called share your stuff I'll go first and you can also um, find her on Instagram at Laura Tremaine and at lauratremaine.com this is a perfect conversation for you to listen to on your walk or with a cup of coffee um, and just enjoy it's just like a perfect I don't know I loved it it's just a great conversation so enjoy. Well, thank you for coming on. Oh my gosh, I love being here. Thank you for having me. I just read the book and share your stuff. I'll go first. I swear to God, not that I have any plans to write a book, but if I was to write a book, I think that would be a good title for me too, because that is, <gasps> I feel like you 
what you're doing is exactly the reason why we started this podcast. So very similar idea. And the fact that you're willing to go first in sharing your stuff is just about the bravest, most vulnerable thing someone can do. Well, thank you for saying that. But I have encountered this idea over sharing on my podcast and on blogs and just online over the years that like what feels really brave to other people, it doesn't feel as crazy to me. I don't know if you've run into this, but I'm a natural sharer and I don't mind telling some of these stories. I mean, some of them that are in the book are different than things I talk about on the show. And so, you know, I was, those were very vulnerable places, but the idea of sharing, like everyone has a different comfort level. And so when people call it, you know, brave or whatever, I'm like, well, for you, maybe that would feel like jumping off the high dive. But for me, this is like sort of what I enjoy doing, like what I get you know, it brings me life to share myself. And so I have to keep that in mind when I'm encouraging people to share that I'm not like walking them off a cliff necessarily. Right. Everyone has a different comfort level. I totally get that. Definitely. Well, what I found so interesting was that you had a blog about for a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and on your blog, you would share what you thought was really helpful content for people And again, same thing, share your stuff. I'll go first. You were just basically trying to open up and then other people hopefully would do the same. And then you found out that people around you, like in your world, in your personal world, were really not liking what you were doing. Yes. I'm so glad you asked about that. Literally no one has asked me about that, which I think is- It resonates so much with me. That's why. I think it's a really important thing that that you talk about that actually happening because I think the reason why we are all so anxious to go first is that exact thing happening that people are like, how could you? It's a real thing. And when I started my mommy blog, which was in 2010, and I just keep calling it a mommy blog when actually I didn't write that much about parenting in general, but that's what was popular then. And it was squarely in that space. But because I was sharing not just mommy stuff like breastfeeding and whatever, I was also sharing my own personal life and about our marriage and about my move from Oklahoma to California and just a lot of things that were about me personally, stories. And, you know, I had longtime old friends, I had family members that did not like it. And it really eroded those relationships. Now, I will say that 11 years ago, in terms of the internet, was like the dinosaur age. I mean, people felt differently about sharing yourself online then than maybe they do now, where it's become more common. We have different etiquette around it. We sort of have different judgment around it. Not that there's not judgment happening, but it really was different in 2010. And a lot of people in my life felt like it was tacky or attention-seeking or mainly those things, mainly attention-seeking. And like, they just thought it was below me, beneath me or beneath them or like who we were or something. And It was a hard pill to swallow because now in my life, just at my age, 11 years older and having done this work for a long time, I reject that kind of criticism like out of hand, like that has no place in my life. But at the time, I started my blog from a place of loneliness and a place of sort of finding myself. And so when the feedback that you're getting is this is not who you are or this is not who you should be, like it really took me down quite a few notches. And I adjusted my blog content. I feel like I made it a lot more palatable and I tried to be more pleasing. And well, that was like the absolute worst path I could take. Like that's the worst path your soul can take is to try to please other people. But I mean, I will admit now that I did. And it was because I was feeling a lot of judgment and I didn't want people to think I was tacky or not smart Or something like I got a lot of weird things like only dumb people do this. Only, you know, idiots put themselves on the internet. And it was really hard to shake that. I did not have the strength or backbone to be like, well, I'm not an idiot. And also that's not even true. Right. And isn't it amazing that people feel like, thank you for your unsolicited advice, but no, thank you. 
And the fact that people, we've had people say that to us. I mean, we are, we really are an explicit podcast and we really do talk about, you know, things that I think people probably listen to. You know, we have episodes where we say to our parents, you may not listen to this, but I have had people say to me, aren't you worried about your kids one day listening to this or, you know, or looking at your Instagram or whatever, or reading about all these intimate details of your life and everything. And I'm sort of like, no, quite the opposite. I am sort of like, they are, I'm hoping that it will make them see every different facet of life and marriage. And we never say anything bad about anybody. You know, I'm not promoting, you know, violence or, you know, bad behavior. Like, it's literally just honesty mm-hmm. and people are so uncomfortable with that. And so, you know, the thing that you may have backpedaled a little bit and changed up your blog and everything, but then fast forward a little bit, you totally just were, you know, you got to a place where now you're doing it again. So it didn't stop you per se, it, you know, as women, I think that we do sort of always, especially maybe, you know, in our younger years, shift our dynamic of whatever we're doing to try to please those around us. And then I think it's all about timing that now you were sort of like, no, I'm done with that. Right. I took a reroute. It didn't ruin it forever, but it definitely made me a little more vanilla, maybe for a few years or made me really self-conscious. And then a few things happened that brought me back to myself and how I wanted to share and what I was really doing here. And Honestly, this I'm just going to be transparent about this because I think this story goes a different way for lots of people. But the thing that I was able to reroute after the detour of pleasing people was that I achieved a certain amount of success. I got a certain amount of readership or I uh, was paid to write and share my thoughts or then I got feedback that I could see that my sharing was really helping people. And so when I got enough positive affirmation, I was able to sort of get back more in alignment to what I wanted to be doing. But I can easily see in people's lives, whether it's a career or a relationship or whatever, they go through their vanilla phase and they never come out of it. They're never given positive feedback to get back on their original path. I can easily see that I could have just, I saw other bloggers do this. I could have whitewashed all my content and then just sort of faded out, you know, and then just have been done with that. So the fact that I, I was still seeking external validation in trying to come back to a place of sharing, you know, it's, we cannot ever shed what other people think of us completely. Or I mean, I guess I can't, I try not to let it be my North star anymore. And I try not to take the criticism to heart as much anymore, but it's still a thing that's there. And that kind of I'm still aware of it, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I'm glad that I didn't just fall off into the oblivion. But I saw other bloggers do that, didn't you? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and it does, you know, to say it doesn't hurt when you get that. And we're right, you know, you have a podcast too. We're rated and reviewed all the time. And there are times when you read something like that and you're like, well, might as well just stop. You've got to quit now. Totally. You know, and it does hurt for people to... So, you know, when people are like, I'm afraid of the bad feedback, I'm sort of like, yeah, you kind of should be. But at the same time, hopefully you're going to get 10 times the positive feedback. So it's sort of like we walk into that being like, okay, strangers are going to be judging me. I cannot control what they say and put out there in reference to me. But then also the other side, like you said, you saw how many people you were helping. And that's the part that I think keeps us going. Totally. I mean, totally. And also just encouraged me to keep doing what I was good at and what I enjoyed doing. The helpful piece is a byproduct and I'm like happy for that. But also like, I think I was born to write and to share. And like, I, it just took me a long time to realize that and to really lean into that. And like stranger criticism, criticism from strangers, it still hurts and I hate it and it sucks. But I can like release that after 48 hours or whatever. Like I kind of cry into my pillow, get mad and go through all the phases of being annoyed and hurt by that. But then that I do release that. What's a lot harder is criticism from people you know. Of course. And not just criticism like, well, you could have like done that a little bit better, but like you shouldn't be doing this at all. 
it's so hard. I have lost relationships over it or relationships have been forever changed because I will never not know that they said that and that they probably continue to harbor that opinion. And what they're saying is, you know, if I'm going to come to the belief of, I think this is what I was made to do. And they're coming from a place of, you really shouldn't be doing this. Well, those things are just never going to match up. Like we are forever going to be in conflict and that relationship is sacrificed. Right. It's interesting because, I mean, first of all, I think probably in some ways it's a gift that, that these people actually told you how they felt because you're so easily able to sift through your relationships and be like, okay, well, that's one I'm not going to give 100% of my time and energy to. So in some ways at the time, as devastating as it is, you know, fast forward a little bit and you're sort of like, yeah, no, I have relationships that are supportive of me and this is not one of them. So it's easy. It's easier for me to release that and focus on these other ones. But it's so interesting what you're saying about people who were like telling you that, you know, it was beneath you or, or anything. My sister just wrote a blog post. She is a life coach, but she also has like a website and a blog and everything about just that, about people that it's actually what they're doing is manifesting jealousy. And what they Mm. saw you doing was sort of like, well, wait a minute, I kind of want to be able to do something like that, but I can't, or I'm not capable or, you know, and so deep down, it's sort of like, why are we bothering to tell anybody? Oh, maybe it's because we see something in there that we feel like we couldn't do. And therefore we're intimidated by it and threatened by it. And so we, we try to make it, less important or less valuable, or like you said, dumb or, and I I think that there's so much to be said about that, that it's just so much more about the person who's saying that, you know, and we've dealt with that also. So I completely get it. And that, that perspective, I think makes you look at it from this is way more about that person than it is about me, you know, totally. There was a lot of, um, in my situation, and there was this was more than one person, by the way. I'm not like just vaguely talking about one person. This was multiple people in sort of different areas of my life. And there was definitely, I can see now, not just jealousy exactly, but more like shame. Like there was a shame in them of bringing attention to yourself or guilt by association. They almost didn't want to be associated with me in some way. And so they were trying, or they didn't want to be associated with what I was doing. So they were trying to take me down and not take me down, but they were trying to, to, to silence me a little bit, you know, like make me a little less loud. And what's interesting about those relationships, because that was in my blogging days and some of them came to a natural end, but I met a huge group of friends later in my life, mom friends mostly as my kids got older. And they were people who, by the time I met them just a few years ago, I had been blogging and podcasting and being on social media for years when I met them. And I didn't know this purposely, but I was carrying some wounds of those older friendships where when I met this new group of mom friends, I did not even really tell them what I did. I was carrying my own, like, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to give them a chance to like judge it and not want to be associated with me. Right. So I didn't for a long time. And so as these friendships would grow and then they'd be like, wait, you do what you have, what what's happening. And as it would kind of start to come out, like I have a podcast, whatever I have, They were so different. People who had met me at a different stage in my life after I had been doing this for a while, they loved it about me. Like they were like, this is amazing. We get to hear you on a podcast. Like they just had a completely different energy and enthusiasm around it. It was like a huge life lesson to me because the people that had judged me early on were people who had obviously known me before I had like, you know, before I had been doing this. And then the people that I met after it was an extension of a person they were already getting to know and like, and the night and day difference in how they felt about it. When I came to the table as already this thing versus the transition you go to in friendships as you're becoming a thing you know, something, anything. It's a completely different thing. It's like, it was like completely different. And I, I can't even sum up what all the life lessons are in that, except that it has been really meaningful to me to meet people who are just like, you're this and we love it. And like, we cheer it on versus people who are like, we don't want you to change. What are you doing? Yes. The find your people 
And yes. you really did. And it took some pain to get there, but you did. And yeah. yes, so many of us go through that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to go back to what you were saying about, you said you wanted to be a writer since you were a little girl. And I think so many of us can think about when we were younger and what we wanted to do. And it sounds like that really influenced you and just stayed with you. And I think there are a lot of us who, you know, I'm in my 40s now. At 40, we started this podcast. And I think for my 20s and my 30s, at one point, I was a teacher. At another point, I was a writer for an internet corporation. And I think through all of that, I was sort of like, oh my God, is this it? Like, am I just never going to do anything that excites me? Because as much as I loved teaching, I also didn't like all the administrative stuff and everything. So I just was never happy. I would never have had on my radar that this would happen in my 40s. And you wrote your first book, like me, sort of, you know, later. And, you know, so... But you had all that time in between. And I think that there are people out there who are saying, well, I guess it's just never going to happen for me. I have this dream of what I want to do, but I kind of have put it on the back burner and it's just not going to happen. But you never did that. Like, was there a time when you were sort of like, well, I guess I'm just never going to write a book? Well, yes, there was a time when I was a blogger, I tried to pitch a book proposal that got rejected, like across the board. (laughs) rejected. And I had been blogging for a while and I had an audience and I felt like I could put a sentence together. And so I just had this thought that that was the next natural step. I had other blogger friends who were writing books. And so when it was like really unilaterally (laughs) rejected, I felt like, oh no, like this was my shot. Like I have put in my due diligence of writing. I've built an audience like they told me to, you know, I've done these publishing hurdles that I thought, you know, was the thing. And I still got rejected from multiple sources. I did think, is it time to hang it up? Like I just couldn't hack. I did gave it my best shot. This was the shot and it didn't work. So I had that minute of thinking that, but I was able to a little bit objectively see that that wasn't a great book idea. (laughs) Later when I had some space from it, I was like, okay, well, I think actually that wasn't a great book idea from like a marketing perspective. And it didn't have anything to do with my sentences or not. Like it just wasn't that great of an idea and that it wasn't that personal. Publishing is a business and I'm not a poet. Like it's (laughs) not like I am standing on my work alone. Like the kind of work I'm doing requires a marketing plan and requires an audience and like all these other things that nonfiction books sort of require. And when I was able to see that a little more objectively, like a while, you know, a year later or whatever, then it felt less personal because it wasn't, like I said, wasn't my poems being rejected. It wasn't my painting being rejected. The thing I was trying to do is a whole different ball of wax. When I wanted to be a writer as a little girl, I thought I was going to write novels and I'm not a novel writer. Like I'm not even right now a novel writer. I don't even know how to do that. I've never studied that. It's so hard. <laughs> like, right, I don't right. know how to do that. I know I'm always blown away. I'm blown away by people you can write like a seven series, like seven book series. I'm sort of like, I don't even have an idea, let alone oh. like seven books worth. No, like plot points and B and C stories. Like, I don't know. It's just not like my thing. Maybe I'll get there because I admire it so much. But what I'm doing right now, like each step builds on each other. And from blogging to podcasting to not writing a book, it's this other thing. And I just sort of need to to reconfigure it. But you're right. I was 40 when I wrote this book. I'm 41 now. And I tell a lot of people the internet is the biggest gift of your whole life. Like in past generations, if you got to 40 and you hadn't been able to do your thing, you might have more of an argument that it would maybe not happen. 
But these days, the internet makes everything happen. You can self-publish. You can start your podcast. You can put your art out there and sell it. It's like an amazing time we're living in. And we don't have the same gatekeepers that our grandparents had. So like turning 40 is not, what? Just do your thing. Try it. There's a million ways to try it now. Yeah, 40, 50, 60. I feel like it's amazing what's happening. I love it. And I think it's so inspirational because I do think that there are so many of us that get to a certain point and we're sort of like, well, not going to happen. So it's super cool. And this must be like so freaking exciting for you. I mean, I'm so happy for you. I wanted to talk about, I want to get into the book a little bit because what I loved is that I think, I feel like you and I have a lot of similarities and I I need to stop saying that, but it's true. I love that you start with the first thing that you want people to know about is your anxiety. Like first thing on the table um, Mm -hmm. is you want where, where people spend years like hiding that and not wanting anybody to know the ins and outs of their mental health issues and everything. That was the first thing you put on the table, which to me sort of says like that is at the forefront of how, of your identity, of who you are. And I was really touched by that because as somebody who is like debilitating OCD and anxiety and everything, the fact that you just got in there and were like, okay, the first thing you need to know about me, I don't want to use the word proud, but you're certainly feel shaped by it. And you're obviously a super good person who has been very successful in life in many, you know, many respects. So you're sort of just like, this is me. And for all the reasons why I am where I am and I am who I am, this is one of the main things that shape me. And I love that. I wish we would all do it. Well, I've been talking with listeners, podcast listeners and things about this this question in the book, the very first question in the book is who are you? And the first way I answer it is my name is Laura and I pull my hair out. I literally pull my hair out, bald spots in my hair. I started doing it when I was a really young child, like younger than kindergarten. And when I was young and had no impulse control and have anybody telling me not to necessarily, I pulled a lot of bald spots in my hair as a child. And and definitely that shaped me, not just the bald spots, but being the girl who pulls her hair out. And I mean, my anxiety has changed over time and how I deal with it has changed. I do still occasionally pull my hair out. But what I have been talking to listeners about is how you introduce yourself. And I don't just mean like at a networking event for your job or whatever, but like the first thing that comes to mind when you ask yourself this question, who are you? What does that answer say? And you don't have to tell anybody. This can just be within your own self answering, who are you? Is the first thing that comes out that you're a mom or a spouse or whatever your job is, where you live? Maybe you take a lot of pride in that or take a lot of identity in that. And again, you you don't have to analyze this with anyone else but yourself. But when you think, who am I? Is your answer in relation to someone else that you're their parent or that you're their spouse? Or is it about your job because you really value achievement or someone taught you to value achievement? Or like me, is it what my like chorist self, like when I picture my chorist Lara, it is like a little girl Lara who wants to be a writer and pulls her hair out bald. That is who I am to myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's why I start the book with that. I mean, I don't say that when I meet someone for the first time, but that's what I want the reader to know, how I see myself. Like, this is who I am. I'm getting to achieve my dream by writing this book. I also probably pulled a bald spot while I was doing it. Both of these things are true, you know, and I've gotten a lot of feedback on that question, who are you? Actually, my publisher didn't want me to start with that question. They thought that like starting with who are you, like that that should be the last question instead of the first question. And I was like, no, no, that's the first question. (laughs) Because it does seem overwhelming. And I wanted to ask you, it was so funny because I read your, I started reading your book the day after Adam and I watched In and of Itself. Have you watched that? No, but people keep telling me to, and I have it on my thing. 
oh my God, you have to, because it was so crazy. We, we watched that. We watched it blindly. Like we had no idea what we were watching. People had just told us to watch it. That's how I told you're supposed to watch it blindly, right? Oh, well, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we watched it and we were both like, like we ended it and we were sort of like, what do we do with that? I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. I highly recommend it. It's on Hulu. But anyway, then the next day I started your book and I was like, whoa, it just sort of was asking all the questions in a, you know, in a different, more personal way than, than in, you know, in the, I guess it's a documentary is what you could call it. And what I like about what the way that you introduce that question is, I think a lot of times when we're asked that, who are you? Like you said, it's the major events in our life, right? It's our family. You talk about Oklahoma, where you were raised and how that also, you know, really shaped you and everything and moving to LA and the decisions that you make and all these different aspects that have made you who you are. But one of the things that I really love about what you did in this book that I don't think about enough, and I think a lot of us don't, are that there are other, maybe what we see as more minor things, like who were your neighbors? Well, I have a neighbor who I probably haven't thought about in 20 years. And when you said that, I was sort of like, I think that person really did shape me. And yet I haven't thought about them. And I was like mulling it over in my mind. And I was sort of like, holy shit. Like, I think that this person probably had a much deeper impact on me than I even realized. So these smoothly. Yeah. But, you know, stranger encounters. I was thinking about a stranger encounter that I had on the subway that I probably hadn't thought, like those things that also shape us more than we realize. And we never sit back and think about them because we're taught, okay, what are you? Well, I'm a podcaster. I'm a mom. I'm a, you know, a wife. I'm a sister. I'm all those things, which are obviously incredibly important, but there are all these little moments that we sort of lose along the way that you make us remember. And I think that's super cool. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, I'm so glad you thought of your old neighbor and that maybe that they made an impact on your life because I really want to give these minor characters in our life, like they would, if we were in a movie, they would be like just cameo roles. Like I want to give them some kind of credit because sometimes these people that shape us or that we're standing there when we got the most important phone call of our life. And that just happened to be who was standing with us. Those people are tied to our memories and they're not, you know, maybe as formative as relationships, of course, but they're really important and we never give them enough credit. And even if we hold them in our heart, like we do, we have thought of them over the years, unlike your neighbor, but you, they have come up, but you feel like sometimes we outgrow them and we're like sort of not allowed to talk about them anymore. So I give a lot of space to... (laughs) to my first boyfriend from eighth grade. Okay. Eighth grade. Like I'm 41 years old. I think that after a certain age, it looks lame. We think that it looks like lame or stupid. Like, why are we talking about your eighth grade boyfriend? Like, this is weird. Unless you're telling a funny story about it. It's unacceptable to bring up your first love. Exactly. Right. Unless it's like a really good anecdote for a cocktail party. Otherwise, why are you being a weirdo? Honestly, a lot of us have those people. It's either a first love or it's a childhood best friend or it's like the mean girl in high school or it doesn't even have to be a mean girl because that would be a different trope. It can just be like a girl, like just a random girl that really mattered to you in high school that you've never talked about because it's a weird story. I swear we all have all of these things and I just want us to acknowledge them in our life. We don't have to talk about them. You can just journal about them. But I think it gives us a fuller picture of who we are. And it can either let you feel some gratitude or it can let you connect some dots that you hadn't connected to before. Like, so with my eighth grade boyfriend story, 
The reason that I tell that story, besides that I want people to just tell their first kisses because I think they're interesting, but also because for being 14-year-olds, that was actually a very healthy and wonderful relationship. And because I started with like a great guy who respected me, we had sexual chemistry, we had fun together. Like it was just an all-around great sort of thing when we were 14. I think that every relationship after that, through my teens and then into my 20s, was affected by I knew what it should feel like, like what a good, healthy, equal relationship should feel like because I started with that. Whereas I had many friends who ended up in toxic, crazy relationships. And part of it was because they weren't, they didn't even know what it's supposed to feel like. That's luck of the draw, P.S. That's a totally lucky thing that that happened. But that's why I wanted to like acknowledge that, that yes, our first loves, they go on and impact you for a long time. And it's okay to say that. Mm -hmm. And especially now with Facebook, it's the weirdest thing, right? Because (laughs) someone you're like, you're now you're seeing, I don't know if you follow the person on Facebook or if you're friends with him or whatever, but you see them now and you're sort of like, oh, okay, they're married and have kids. But yet I remember sitting on the couch and necking with him or like, it's yes. a weird dynamic, right? Like sometimes you're sort of like, okay, so that's kind of what our kid w- might've looked like a little bit. <laughs> no, totally. But like, we're like not allowed to even say that out loud, but then here we have said it. Right. And you know what? For the book, I had to go back and, and talk to a few different people from my past, including this eighth grade boyfriend, Clint, who's a great guy. He's a coach in Texas. And I've had to revisit some things with people if I was going to use their name in the book or if I wanted to be able to write about our stories fairly. So in the last, you know, 18 months, I have contacted some of these people. And every time I've been like, is this, are they going to remember this the same way I do? What if they're like, I don't even barely remember that we dated or what are you even talking about? Every single time the person that I've contacted also holds the story in a similar regard. Not exactly the same, but I didn't encounter one person who was who blew it off and was like, what are you, rando? You know what I mean? Like, right. I do think that even men hold these stories in their heart uh, with like affection or fondness. Or, it's not weird and deep and, mm-hmm. and sketchy. It's just like, oh yeah, remember that? That was fun. We did neck on the couch when we were 15. Right. That's a fun memory. Right, totally. Yeah, I think it's great. and. I think so many times, you know, things like Facebook have all these like negative things, but also it can be sort of nice to just see like, oh, okay, they they wound up like they're happy and they're, you know, they found their person, I found mine, but we have this history together and I don't know, can be. I like it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is the whole, when you talk about your sister, your older sister and how, so you're the third child mm-hmm. um, and your, your siblings are a lot older than you mm-hmm. and you've, and that was one of the things that you said also shaped you and being a third child and the baby of the family as I am also, it's interesting because the way it shaped you is completely different than the way it shaped me. Like, I feel like it kind of made you more responsible, maybe. Is that correct? And like, you know, you sort of like, it affected, I was the one who like was, you know, smoking cigarettes and drinking at like 12 years old or earlier than that. Because my, I saw like my sister, my older sister and my brother and everything. And my parents, by the time I was born, were sort of like, well, we've done it twice. Let's just see what happens with her. And, you know, so it was just like a different, but at the same time, it completely has impacted who I am as a person. So, you know, I was sort of just thinking to myself, like, has that impacted how you like, try to raise your kids to interact and be siblings. And because I feel like with my youngest now, because of how it affected me, I'm the opposite. I baby the crap out of him, Um, Mm. which to a fault, like for real. I mean, he's nine and he doesn't even know how to tie his shoes yet because I'm sort of like, I'll just do, you know, just do it for him (laughs) because I was the opposite when I was younger. But I was just, I was curious about that. Has that like impacted you know, your parenting or anything, because it's impacted mine. Definitely has impacted some of my decisions. So my sister is nine years older and my brother is seven years older. They're close. They're 20 months apart or less. And then there was a big gap and then me. And so my 
parents were also just like old on the older side then now that would be very standard but at the time you know they were my mom was almost 40 when I was born and so I had always had older parents than my siblings I mean I always had older parents than my friends had and then also they uh, were out of the house by the time I was 10 not even I didn't have anyone living at home. I was almost like an only child. So I had the experience of having siblings, but also being at home alone all the time. And my parents both worked. So I was a latchkey kid. So I do think that it made me really independent. I always had to take care of myself after school. I always had to, I just didn't have anyone else to help me with anything, like a sibling to help out. Like I didn't have any of that. So it really mattered to me when I decided to have kids that I did not want a gap. I wanted to have kids that were close together, if at all biologically possible, because I felt a loneliness in it when I was younger. Actually, now that I'm older, there's been some real benefits to it. And we are much more friendly, my siblings and I, than we were when I was younger. And they treated me like a baby for you know most of my childhood. I really didn't want to have a big gap if it was possible with my own kids. And I don't. They're exactly two years apart A thing about this sibling thing that you bring up, and I write about my siblings in the book a little bit, is that I love to talk about all these things we've already said. First loves, friends, sharing. I was a little bit surprised when I was answering my own questions in the book that my family of origin just kept coming up. And it's not that we, you know, listen, I go to therapy, like I know how it works, but I also thought, that I would have outgrown some things or that some wounds would no longer be so tender or, you know, that I've just spent all this time in personal growth and doing all these things that I would be past certain things. Like I just was surprised when I sat down to write this book at 40 years old, after years of doing introspective blah, blahing on the internet, that I still was like, oh yeah, This is stuff that's still there, our stuff with our siblings and our parents and talking, the whole book is about who we are and what has shaped us. And I kept wanting sometimes the answers to be different than they were. And I had a good childhood and I had great parents. So it's, I'm not like alluding to some weird, you know, vague trauma But I am just saying that as if you're reading a book like this, or if you're just trying to think about who you are, and and this is the first time you've thought about some of these things or answered some of these questions, like it's not always a fun drinking game. Like sometimes it's like a real, shoot, like I'm not past this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's where I also think that the old neighbors and the strangers and everything come up is that also it brings up a little bit of like, oh yeah, that happened and I'm not thinking about it for a reason, but maybe it's time to deal with it. Mm. You know, because there is stuff that you're sort of like, oh, it was just a small incident. I don't have to really think about it. It probably doesn't, hasn't even affected. And then you sort of like, if you sort of like pick it out and magnify it, you're sort of like, oh crap. No, that was really pivotal in my life. Yeah, and it affected my decisions afterward, and I've never given it that credit. So we were talking a minute ago about giving credit to people who were there or whatever, which is the fun side of it, but also giving credit to things that happen that you have been either taught to from self-preservation or because culture taught you like, no, one thing didn't have to do with the other, or your decisions after this had nothing to do with that minor incident. But if you know that it did, you've never even let yourself think that. Like this thing happened to me and then I was unable to go away to college because I was really in a hard place or I was unable to date or I was unable, you know, all these things that happened in our lives. And we're like not allowed sometimes to connect those dots because that would mean blaming a family member or that would mean acknowledging that an incident was incredibly traumatic when You weren't allowed to use words like that around it. I tell a story in the book, and this isn't like a spoiler, but I tell a story in the book about being at a pool as a child when a, a little boy drowned. And it was a different time. You know, it was the late 80s, and a lot of things were different then in parenting and stuff like that. But 
I was with a group of friends when that happened and we were like literally never allowed to talk about this thing that happened. I mean, we watched a child our age die and like all of the energy around it was taken away from us. You know, we were not allowed to like sort of speak of it. It was just like swept under the rug. It was like someone else's tragedy, which of course it was. But I mean, there's all these reasons that we weren't allowed to like ever talk about it again. This was like, oh, you don't talk about yucky things and it was an accident and all of these things. Well, I reached out to some of these friends. This is an example of some of the people I reached out to over the last year to say, hey, do you remember this? I mean, I'm asking if they remember this. I mean, obviously it's like a mind-blowingly huge incident, but we'd never talked about it. So I was like, do you remember this and how did it affect you? And of course they were like, yes. And it was terrible. And now as a parent, I have I struggle with pools. Right. right. And now as I struggled with swimming after that, like, and we've never, this is something that happened when we were 10. We haven't talked about it in 30 years. And, and nobody talked to us about it. Not a parent, not a school counselor, not a whatever. It probably and I was so like, to talk about it, right? Did it feel so good to talk? I mean, obviously it's a terrible memory, but it must've felt so cathartic to actually talk about it. I... So one of the friends that I reached out to, um, I hadn't talked to her in a while, but I was, I was in some ways, wasn't reaching out to her emotionally. I was almost like fact checking it in a way. Like, is like, what do you remember about this day? You know, cause I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to publish this in a book. I need it to be like factually accurate. And so I was like, I didn't tell her what I wrote, but I was like, can you just sort of recount for me? Like sort of the timeline of events or whatever. I'm, she's sort of fact checking me in a way when she wrote back, like her exact memory of that day, it matched mine exactly. First of all. But also, I felt a flood of relief that our remembrances added up because when you don't talk about something for 30 years, you start to think, did I make that up? I mean, maybe it wasn't traumatic or like, maybe that's not how it happened. Like, I mean, I know it happened, but maybe like, I don't know, maybe I'm assigning something to it that it wasn't like you can really get in your head about it. And so to have her write back, not even the emotional parts of it, but just like this happened and then this happened and then this happened, the relief I felt, it was the biggest weight off my chest to be like, I didn't make this up. This absolutely happened. We were there. This is what we saw. And now as an adult and even more so as a parent, I'm like, of course that has stayed with me. Why did I ever try to talk myself out of this being a big moment. And yeah, it was like, I mean, I'm not trying to like take us into Debbie Downer territory, but like, these are things that we don't always let ourselves assign a connection to. And everything is connected. All of our stories like matter and they, they do are just, they affect our decisions. They affect our emotions later. And when you can't always identify it, sometimes it's nice to identify it. It does take a little bit of the burden off to be like, oh, that's why I'm weird around water. That's why I hate flying. That's why a certain type of personality really like drives me bananas. It's nice to just be aware of it. Right. Absolutely. Definitely. I wanted to just ask you if when people read this book, what is one thing that you hope that like every single person takes away from it? What I really want people to do when they read this book is to text a friend. <laughs> like this is my biggest goal is I want someone to read that and then reach out to a friend, email a friend, whatever, and say, do you remember this story? Like I just said, or what would your answer to this be? Or I haven't thought of this in years or any, like, I really hope as much as I hope people get some introspection out of it. What I really hope is that it like, fosters a connection with at least one other person that you can just reach out to them and be like, Hey, I read this thing in a book, like your neighbor. And what if you didn't reach out to your neighbor? Because maybe that's not appropriate, but like you reached out to your sibling and was like, Hey, remember our neighbor? <laughs> and then you guys could have a really good conversation about that. And then that would be a connection point for you. I really want people to read the book. And I hope that there's one passage, one chapter, one question that makes them reach out to someone else. That's the whole, that's the biggest goal. No, that's definitely going to happen. I have no doubt. Definitely. I want to go back and answer some of these questions, writing them down because, you know, they're in my head and I was trying to, you know, think about things. And then I was sort of like, I need to write some of this down and then put pen to paper. And I think that that, that will be very interesting to do. 
Yeah, I hope so. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. And I know that it's going to be a great success. I mean, for sure. And seriously, come back on anytime to talk about it. I feel like I could like ask you a thousand more questions. Oh my, I know. I feel like I just talked your ear off, but you asked a question. That's exactly the point. And no, it it was great. I loved it. And I do, I felt like reading it, I was sort of like, am I thinking we have similarities just because like I'm reading this and she's sharing her stuff. So I'm sort of like finding connections because anybody would find connections. Then I was sort of like, oh my God, she's a third child. Oh my God, she's the baby. Oh my God. Like I just kept finding things that were sort of like, no, there's definitely stuff here, but everybody's going to connect and identify. So thank you so much. And thank you for being brave enough to go first and share your stuff because that is like my favorite kind of person is the one who will get out there. And my God, the things that I've shared on my podcast, I'm sort of like, (laughs) I'm always like, this is, it makes me feel so much better when other people are willing to do it too. So thank you. We're both doing it. We're totally both doing it. I love being here. Yeah. And it's, I do, I listen, it's contagious. Vulnerability is contagious. And I truly, truly believe that. So yeah, thank you too. so much. Oh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the book, everything. So the book is available in bookstores, your favorite online retailers are also in person. It is available everywhere. I do a weekly show where I ask a lot of these same kind of questions. It's called 10 Things to Tell You. I would love it if you would listen to that. And then you can find out all my socials, the book, the podcast, just go to lauratremaine.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. I loved it. Oh, yeah, me too. Bye, thanks.